Well, good morning, Cornerstone Community Church, 3C. I like that. We'll just shorten it down to 3C. It's a lot easier. Great to be here again. Time flies. It's like a year goes by and I come back and all you adults look the same, but these kids, they're just, they keep changing on me. I go, I don't remember you being that tall. So uh, y'all look good today. Nice, cool, crisp fall day. Isn't it great? We've had a great year already. I've been in... uh, Nine countries already this year, so Belgium make number 10, and then I'm done. Except I got, I'm going to Alaska. That's like going to another country in November. In November, you know it's God when you go to Alaska in November because nobody wants to go to Alaska in November. <laughs> it's too cold. So we've had some, some great things happen. Uh, particularly, I was early, started out the year, went to Cambodia and Vietnam. We had some uh, powerful meetings there. And uh, boy, night and day, even though those countries are right next to each other, they're both Asian countries. Um, the spiritual temperature is different in each one. There's a lot more oppression in Vietnam because of the still a lot of communist uh, oppression. It comes from the government, a lot of harassment. We had the privilege of prophesying over a, uh, a gentleman who was raised a Buddhist. He was actually a Buddhist monk. Uh, he found Christ as his savior, converted, became a pastor. And just recently in December, this was a month after we'd gotten there, uh, the uh, Vietnamese uh, police stormed his home, dragged him out in the street, and just beat the tar out of him just because he's a Christian. And so those things are going on in the earth, and we don't realize it in our nice, comfortable American, you know, Bible belt. You know, we don't, don't, that's the farthest thing from our mind that, you know, maybe someone would just show up to Willie's house and just drag him out in the street and start beating him up because he's a Christian pastor in Lynchburg, Virginia. That wouldn't happen, right? <laughs> but it happens around the world. So your heart really goes out to these saints that need encouragement and equipping, and they're, they're sacrificing on different levels than, than we are. Um, a lot of things in Europe this spring and um, had an incredible meeting in Wales. I've been going to Wales about 20 years. Um, everybody loves Wales. The world loves Wales because of the Welsh revival. And uh, I'm talking about the Christian world. And it's amazing the things that come out of Wales. You forget because out of the Welsh revival came in a massive movement of missionaries. And you may not realize this. You've heard of Paul Yonggi Cho in Seoul, Korea, large church. It was a Welsh missionary that came to Korea right after the Welsh revival, and led his mother to the Lord, and then subsequently he found Christ. And he was just in Wales just a few years ago to thank the Welsh people for sending missionaries out into the world. So, you know, you can never minimize how important it is that one missionary would go out from even a small, insignificant country like Wales. The average size church in Wales, 27 people. That's the average size, which means (laughs) there's some a little bigger and some a lot smaller. So a friend of mine that I've been working with for 20 years, he's got a church of about 250. It's a mega church in Wales. That's a mega church. They're, they're not a whole lot bigger than, than you. But uh, there's great things happening. So we were part of a conference called New Wine Wales. It was uh, unprecedented in that it drew people from the north rim of Wales and the whole southern section of Wales. I hadn't realized this, and I've been going to the UK and Ireland and all that for years. I didn't realize there how much division was between the north Welsh and the southern Welsh. Huge division. A uh, lot of attitude, animosity. The North feel like they're the, the, second, uh, the, the second-hand you know, uh, stepchild of Wales because the Southern Belt gets all the money from the UK. And, oh, there's all this stuff going on, and they're trying to preserve the Welsh culture. And there's these... I didn't realize how big it was, so it was a big event drawing churches from the North and the South of Wales into the center of Wales for a conference, and God just poured out His Spirit. So it's pretty neat. Um, prophetically, God was speaking about... God's going to move in Wales again, but not like he did before. How many know God is very inventive? See, I've been going to Wales for years, and I've talked to a lot of people, and everybody wants it to be the way it was. Oh, if we could just have one more Welsh revival. It's like, 
Why do you want to go back to the way it was? We're going to talk about that this morning anyway. So I thought it was interesting that God said, I'm going to move, but not like you suppose. It's going to look totally different. So these are days God's moving. Uh, as Willie said, I was in Ireland for three weeks in uh, June, or August. What month is this? Yeah, August. And uh, had some, again, uh, great breakthroughs uh, in some place I've been going for years to see the, the changes in the north and the south. Church planting has really taken off in Ireland like I've never seen before in 20-some years. And uh, there's a greater unity, again, between the north and the south of Ireland. That's another big problem there. <laughs> That's actually growing tighter and more in the unity of Christ. And uh, it's just a joy. Uh, God's moving amongst young people. There's some vibrant young pastors planting churches in Belfast area and other things. So it's, God's doing great things in the earth. It's awesome. And I will be in the... Yeah, I also had the privilege of going up into Amish country. I've been, again, going there for almost 20 years. I oversee two churches that are 10 miles from each other, right in the dead center of northern Indiana. <laughs> and it's just, I mean, there's horses and buggies up and down the street just as much as there's Volkswagens here. I mean, they're just as common as anything. And uh, if you've never been to Welsh or to uh, Amish country, uh, it's, it's worth a visit. And there are different pockets they have around uh, the United States and Canada. But uh, there's a movement going on amongst the Amish, an interesting hunger that God's stirring in the heart of Amish people that are traditional. I don't know if you understand the Amish culture. It's very closed, as you know. They, they keep all of their, their church services are still in German. Uh, their Bibles are all in German. They do that to pretty much control uh, the people so that they can't, you know, taste anything English. And uh, it's very controlled. It's, very, it's just very religious. And salvation is basically through joining the church. Uh, it's, they're not evangelistic that way. It's a lot of problems, a lot of things. But there are some people that are getting saved and people that have come out from the Amish church. And this pastor that I work with has some people in his church that have begun to reach back into, mostly a lot of his family, just reaching back into their family. Um, one testimony that came out last year with how it started some of the movement, there was an Amish family whose son was 12 years old and contracted leukemia. And they brought him to the elders of the Amish church to pray, pray for him. And they said, well, there's nothing we can do. It's God's will. <clears throat> you know, that's their theology. That's where they were at. But the father, if you were the father of a 12-year-old with leukemia, you'd be crushed like he was. And he just cried out to God. And God led him, you know, to uh, Pastor Dave Gardy and that church, Living Stones. They prayed for that young boy, and God healed him. And that sent a message. <laughs> that sent a big message. Uh, yeah, we give glory to God, and it's not a, it's not a prideful thing. It's not like well, we got a better religion than you do. It's just it, God just did something that stirred this family, and then they started reaching out to their own family because of the witness and uh, started having Bible studies. Things just began to take off to now. People are just now unprecedentedly leaving the Amish church. That's a big deal to leave the Amish church. You're leaving everything. You're leaving your culture. You're leaving everything, family relationships. And so people are leaving in droves, and they're, they're reassembling, and they're forming kind of new churches, and they're meeting with some English churches, and, uh, and they're getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I was in there. We had two nights of meetings, and uh, I taught a lot on the prophetic ministry because it was something they'd never even heard of. And then we're able to minister prophetically into a lot of families. I mean, I had one hand on a bonnet, another hand on a beard. We had beards and bonnets, and I'm prophesying. I'm thinking, dear God, I never thought I'd see this day. I'm prophesying over an Amish couple, like right out of the, right out of the textbook, you know. Still had the suspenders and everything, and it's like, God, you, you can do anything. So this, these are all signs of the times. That God is where there's been much division and faction and, and uh, borders up. God is busting the borders down whether it's an Amish situation in that culture or the Irish or wherever else, or even, as, you know, we're seeing in Asia, the things are happening in Asia. It, it is a good day to be in the kingdom, and 
and forcefully advancing the kingdom together. So as you know, you guys uh, help me out monthly, and I just appreciate that, Willie and Church, because I, I always sign all my newsletters. When I go, you go with me. So in essence, you've been in 10 countries already this year, and you've got one to go, so don't, don't get tired. We're all going to Belgium this week, okay? And the good things are happening there. So praise God. It's good. Let's, uh, let's go to the Word. Today, Mark chapter 8, we're going to look at acquiring spiritual sight. Acquiring spiritual sight. You know, as an American, traveling to foreign countries is a very healthy thing. It's really good for your Christianity. <laughs> Because we can get so American in the way we do things. Um, you need that kind of that shock almost sometimes. Just to shock yourself out of your own culture. To realize it's all about the kingdom. And God has a huge kingdom and he has nations out there. And so uh, I'm going to start with a large, large concept. And then work it down into the story here in a minute. But I have friends in other networks. Other prophetic ministers. And one particular network that I'm, uh, guys I've been working with for a long time have been reacquainted even stronger this summer. But they operate, they're, they're Americans, but they operate in a foreign network. So the network that they're part of is not an American network. So the bulk of all the, the leadership and the bulk of the churches, they're in 95 different nations. And they're just now starting to plant churches in America. Hadn't been doing it up until maybe five years ago. And they used to look at America, and they, used to, had, a, they had a nickname for America. They called it Fortress USA because from the outside of America, you look at America, it's an overwhelming nation. We don't think of it because we we're Americans, but if you're a foreigner and you think of the United States of America, it's, it's like a fortress, you know? Like, how do you get in? And then once you get in, it's just very comfortable to stay in there and not want to get out again, you know? It's a, and so spiritually, it has to do with spiritual jurisdiction. America has a large jurisdiction in the earth. We all know that. We're paying the price for it sometimes. It's a very complex jurisdiction. It's very powerful, but things are happening. We're having a meltdown right now, and you know what? Uh, I, don't know, I don't know how much prayer <laughs> is behind what's happening because God's in this, and we have to be careful how we pray. You have to make sure you're sitting on the right platform. Your prayer, your prayer life has to sit on a platform first of the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign right now in the nations. He's always been sovereign. But we have to be careful how we're praying right now and how we're hearing from God. And uh, there's, there's a leveling going on in the kingdom, what I was just talking about. We call it apostolic equalization. That means because of the apostolic spirit of Christ that's going out and pushing. You'll see in a minute, the apostolic releases people and it, and it pushes people into new regions and new territories. And that's why there's new waves of church planting and that's why... You know, former borders are coming down because apostolic equalization is a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy where he said every mountain will be made low and every valley will be raised up. There's an equalization that's happening in the earth and God's behind it. And even economically, there's an equalization happening. You know, God throughout history, if you could track history, God has brought down, God has raised up and then brought down every empire throughout all of history to serve his eternal purposes. He raised up a Roman empire so that his own son could come into the middle of that ugly thing <laughs> and be crucified by that system. And God brought the Roman Empire down. He brought the Greco. God has moved throughout all of God brought Egypt to its knees, put Nebuchadnezzar down on all fours, eating grass. You know, God did all that. And so God's in charge. God's in charge of America. If we, if we want to get an accurate term, we have to say we are an empire. We are the, one of the most forceful nations on the earth. And that's why in all of this, you have to understand there's something happening in 
the jurisdictions of the kingdom of God, where we have authority to speak. What we see in the spiritual realm is so important. And the only way, like I said, that you can really understand it is to see with spiritual eyes. The thing that will prevent us, though, is spiritual blindness. If we're trying to gauge what God's doing in the earth and trying to gauge the economic meltdown that's happening in the earth, if we're trying to interpret world events with natural eyes, we're going to miss the purposes of God. We won't understand. We'll be in crisis like everybody else. We will not be a thriving church that's going to rise up in shining light in times of darkness, and then we will not be able to extend the kingdom with the force that God wants us to. So we have to be very careful how we perceive the times. And one of the things that will keep us from seeing accurately is blindness. So let's go to the story of Mark chapter 8, very short story about the healing of a blind man. Mark 8, 22, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the village. And when he'd spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and said, well, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. He opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, don't even enter the village. That's a pretty short, to the point story. This is what happened. He was healed, done. But there's a lot going on here (laughs) because Jesus never wastes anything in his interactions with the human race. Jesus never wasted anything in the mortal realm so he could bring the eternal realm to people's sight and understanding. There's a lot going on here. So let's break this down for just a minute. This is an interesting story because it's really the only time that we see Jesus having to pray for someone or touch someone a second time when it came to their healing. You know, he didn't get healed completely the first time. He asked him a question. In fact, he says, do you see anything? He says, well, I see men, but they look like trees walking. So he said, you need, you need another touch. This very rare instance in the Gospels where Jesus prayed a second time. The illustration here is when it comes to acquiring spiritual sight, it is a progressive process. It doesn't happen all at once. That's good. You don't get it all at once, but you do get some. How many would say you see more today than you did five years ago? We can all raise our hands and say, yeah, I, I actually see more. You, almost, you may not be able to explain it, but you know what I'm talking about. You, your scriptures are different. Uh, your perspectives are different. That's part of our growth. That's part of our acquiring spiritual sight and coming out of that. So let's take a break back to the beginning and understand this process and how it all began. Because it starts out, they came and they brought the blind man to him, begged Jesus to touch him. And the first thing Jesus did, notice this in verse 23, the first thing Jesus did was not pray for him that he would be healed. The first thing he did is it says that he took, him, took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. He took him by the hand, that was the first touch, and then he moved him. Very simple. That was a huge illustration, though. That's what I call the apostolic touch. That's, there's a firstness about the apostolic. You always have to remember, it's called the proton principle. Proton is the Greek word for first. And if you understand the way God built the church, it's built on an apostolic foundation. The firstness of the apostolic dimension drives everything else that happens in the kingdom. Do you understand that? 1 Corinthians 12, 28, it says, and God said in the church, first apostles. See, that's the proton principle. He used a very clear Greek word, first. First in order, rank. Not, it's not better. First in order, first in rank. 
Why? Because God does everything in order. God's a God of order. So when God puts something in the earth designed by his heavenly architecture and says, this is first, we always go around messing with it and mess things up. <laughs> We've got to understand the firstness of God's apostolic release. When Jesus started the church, what did he do? He chose 12 what? Apostles. Why? Why didn't he choose three prophets, three apostles, two pastors, a couple of evangelists, and a partridge in a pear tree? I don't know. Why didn't he, why didn't he mix it up a little, you know? Because of the, first, the proton principle. That had to be the first thing that had to come into the earth to start the church. First apostles. And everything expanded out of that. So it's interesting. This, I call this the apostolic touch. He took the blind man by the hand and moved him. Because the apostolic, when you touch the apostolic, something shifts, first of all, on the inside of you. Something moves in you. You relocate something. There's a shifting that takes place in your spirit. And so this whole idea of the word apostello was where we get the word apostle from. It literally means to point, it points to a command that releases someone to an appointed place. See, there's an appointed place for you to acquire sight. It wasn't there. If he could have gotten his sight there in his village, then Jesus would have left him there, given him his sight, and walked away. But he said he took him by the hand and moved him. The apostolic will always move you. It'll move you into a position to acquire more from God. Sometimes you feel stuck in your walk with God. How many of you ever felt stuck? Say, I just kind of feel stuck. You know what you need? You, just, you don't need more prayer. You don't need, what you need? You need more sight. The, reason, the way you get more sight is to relocate yourself. I'm not talking about move away from Lynchburg. I'm saying spiritually, inside, you have to shift the platform you've been on to a new platform so you can see more of God. And when you see more of God, you will change. So the apostolic came and moved him. Jesus took him by the hand and moved him out of his village. So what's the big deal about the village? Why did he have to do that? Why did he have to move him out of his village? Let's understand what a village is. In the natural, the Greek word there is kome, K-O-M-E. It literally means to, to lie outstretched. If I had a map of Lynchburg, we would lie the map and outstretch its borders and say, these are the parameters. It literally means to be contained within something. So if we were to call Lynchburg a village today, the village of Lynchburg, the city, would be contained within a certain border, to be contained within something. What we transfer this into in the spiritual side is it means it's where you are contained in all of your mentalities. It becomes a spiritual village. It's a particular grid that you run everything through in all of your experiences. It's a jurisdiction in your life. Why? It jurisdicts how you perceive life. It's how you judge how other people talk and act and think. Because everybody comes from a village. Everybody grew up somewhere. We all come from some kind of a containment where we were shaped in all of our mentalities where we, got, what we, we came up with habits, family lifestyles, language, uh, food, you name it. That's pretty much the cultural normality that we think says, now this is what normal is, right? For you, wherever you grew up, however you came, came up, the, all those things that formed and shaped your village, for you, that's normal. Until you meet someone from another village. <laughs> then, uh-oh, what happens there? Well, you suddenly realize, hey, you're not like me. What's wrong with you? Right? Everybody comes from a village. You know what that means? We're all messed up. Every one of us are messed up. I'm messed up. Willie's messed up. Sam's really messed up. That's why we put him in that box back there, because 
That's his village. No, we're all messed up. Why? Because we all run things and perceive people. And the main thing is about perceiving people from our own points of view, our own cultural normality. And it causes major meltdowns. I have good news. Real quick, our second son uh, got engaged last night to be married. We're very excited about that. Yes, glory to God. And, uh, you know, I think of my mind was just running through when I proposed to my wife. and We're just all rehearsing history and stories and all that. But, you know, you remember when you're a newlywed, um, you know, when you go on your honeymoon and all that, you get back and then actually there is a point when normal life starts. You know, it's just kind of, it's kind of a blur, isn't it? All the dating and engagement and, ooh, it's just kind of a, a dream world until you get back from the honeymoon. And that's what we say, the honeymoon's over. What's that mean? Real life begins. Go to work, get a job, you know. You've got to start doing life, but you're doing it together, which is exciting. And, you know, I think of, you know, you think of the first day back on the job, in their own home, moved in, and think of a little newlywed wife saying, honey, it's our first real home-cooked meal together as a family, first time. So I'm going to do a home-cooked meal. You go off to work. I'm going to go to the store. Make something special for us. After all, it's our first home-cooked meal together as a new family. Wouldn't that be great? Yes, that'd be great, Darren. They're just, mm, they're so lovey and mushy and crazy love. Yeah. And they, uh, so he goes off to work, and she runs to the store, and she's going, what am I going to make? I don't want to make something too hard. I don't want to blow it the first day. <laughs> got to get, I got to go, you know, I got to go one and oh, the first meal. And so I'll make spaghetti. I noticed you're having spaghetti. One of your events, those, it's, easy, it's an easy dish, right? Who, how, how can you mess up boiling water? And, so I'm going to make spaghetti. Make spaghetti. She's cooking in the afternoon. He comes home, walks in. Oh, my goodness, what's that I smell? That smells so good. Oh, it's homemade spaghetti just for you, dear. I made the sauce and everything. We're going to have our first meal. Here. So, oh, I can't wait. And they're being mushy and gooey. I can't go into the details. You know. So finally, okay, it's time to eat. So you come to the little, you know, rickety cardboard table that they all, they all start on a cardboard table folding chairs, you know. And a little candle, a little romance there, but uh, it's our first meal together, and he sits down. She brings that steaming plate of spaghetti and sets it down in front of her husband and makes a few eyes at him, and, and he, he just smiles, and he's mesmerized with her. He doesn't almost even notice the spaghetti's there, and then he looks down and goes, oh, this is going to be great. And she sits down, and they're, they're Christians, I suppose, so they hold hands and pray over their first meal together, and then it's time to tuck in, and he just goes into that spaghetti, can't wait. He's smiling. He's excited. He's stirring it up a little bit, and he stops for a minute and says, well, honey, hey, what are, those, what are those little round gray things in the spaghetti? He's just with a smile. He's loving his life, being gracious. She says, well, honey, those are mushrooms. He goes, oh, oh, mush, mushrooms? Mushrooms in the spaghetti sauce, huh? Yeah. Mushrooms in the spaghetti sauce. He goes, oh, why did you put mushrooms in the spaghetti sauce? My mother always put mushrooms in the spaghetti sauce. Didn't yours? No. <laughs> Frankly, no. Actually, we, we don't like mushrooms. We didn't put mushrooms in anything. I can't stand mushrooms, really. You can't stand mushrooms. We put mushrooms in everything. Uh-oh, we got a problem. What's going on here? We have a clash of villages, don't we? We have the mushroom village comes against the mushroom-hating village. And there is a clash <laughs> of villages. In other words, what is wrong with you? <laughs> This is normal. People always put mushrooms in spaghetti. Not where I come from. <laughs> so you understand, we're all messed up. We're all messed up. We all come from a village. And so here's the spiritual truth we got to grab hold of. Why Jesus took the man by the hand and led him first out of his village 
is because village mentality will eventually lead you to spiritual blindness. If you stay in your village as you grow up and come into the kingdom, you will eventually develop spiritual blindness. That was the state that this man was in when they brought him to Jesus to touch him. And Jesus recognized first the source of his blindness. It wasn't his eyeballs. The source of his blindness was the village he came from. So he moved him out of the village. Every village is limited. Every village has limitations on how it reflects the kingdom of God. And so we have to allow Jesus to move us in our Christian journey, move us out of our villages. Village mentality will always distort the way you see other people. True. That's why when he first touched them, said, do you see anything? He said, well, I see men. No, maybe they're trees. No, I guess they're men. They're walking. Trees don't walk. See, he was all disoriented. Everything was distorted. See, when you first come into the kingdom and you start getting spiritual sight, what you used to see becomes distorted. That's why you need more than one touch. That's when you need a prophetic touch. You need the apostolic, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, first apostles. Then what? Secondarily, what? Prophets. Why would he put prophets second? Because it's the prophetic dimension that opens up your understanding. Prophetic dimension helps you receive revelation so you can see. Prophets are seers. They help equip the body of Christ to see. So here... He led him out of the village. He spit on his eyes, laid his hands on him. And he said, do you see anything? Now, it's interesting. He asked the question, do you see anything? Probably like a good doctor would bring you in and say, how are you doing? Well, I can't see. Well, okay, describe for me. What is, your, what is your level of sight? Tell me what you see currently. See, he was trying to find out what level of sight he had. And when he said, I see men as trees, I guess, but they're walking, Jesus went, you're not there yet. Here's the deal. Our language always indicates our level of sight. That's why he says, what do you see? And by his words, he told Jesus where his sight was at. It was still distorted. Do you know the way you describe people indicates your level of sight? Do you want to know how you see people? Just listen to your own words. <laughs> Scary, isn't it? Yeah, how we describe other people. How we judge other people when we first see them, you know. Especially, you know, in churches, we're, we're just we're as, we're as inept. We have village mentality right in our churches. It's not just a, a worldly thing. It's very easy to be out in the foyer, you know. It's 10, 15, you're having coffee with you, all your favorite friends, and you're talking about the weekend, and we went camping, and yeah, next week's this, and we're just talking. And then in walks a couple that have never been on your property before. They walk through the front doors, and everybody thinks like E.F. Hutton. We all stop and stare at them. And then you look at your friend and go, you ever seen them before? I've never seen them before. They're not from here, are they? No, I don't, I don't, I've never seen them before. Suddenly, we're, our village <laughs> rises up, and we start looking at them, and we're, we're, what we're saying, our words are indicating how we see them. <clears throat> are they a gift from God? Did God send them to be ministered to? All those things have to start coming through our, our thinking. Our sight has to be zeroed in on who they are in Christ, who they are called to be, maybe, in Christ. And if, you don't, if, you're, if you're stuck in your village, even when you get to the church and out in the foyer, if you're still in your village, then the way that you perceive people is going to be tainted. It's going to be distorted. And we will, in fact, judge them. And we will not take that step. And it messes us up. So here we have Jesus checking on this guy's sight and realizing you're not there yet. The challenging question for us this morning is the same question 
not just do you see anything, how do you see other people? That's a challenge for every one of us in the room. How do you see other people? Are they just like trees walking around? You know, the fact that you said they look like, I see men, but they look like trees. Wow, that just so devalued the image. Man created in God's image, and he said, I can't tell whether it's a man or a tree. The only distinguishing thing, it's moving. So, challenging question, isn't it? Because the point is, he wanted us to see clearly. That's the point. The healing is coming because eventually he sees everything clearly. But you've got to understand, spiritual blindness will always devalue other humans in your eyes. And the devil only wants, only cares that one group of people oppresses another group of people. He doesn't care who they are, what their language is, where they are located on the planet, what color their skin is. He does not care. As long as he can get one group of people oppressing another group, he's doing his ministry. That's why he was called, Jesus was called to go and heal all that were oppressed of the devil. He's an oppressor. And so we have to realize that you know, either you are an oppressor or you're an oppressee. Sometimes you feel I'm, sometimes I can move in both camps. In village mentality, we, we have you moving in that dimension. You don't even know it sometimes. And the only thing, the only antidote to that is you have to acquire kingdom sight, sight that comes from God. We sang it this morning. I don't know if you caught it. Open up my eyes. Let me see the things unseen. We sang that this morning, but did we really know what we were singing? And we pray and cry out. Do you know the apostle Paul wrote an epistle? to the Ephesians, and in the first chapter, <clears throat> he actually wrote a prayer. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you might know what the hope of your calling is. We have to have our, our eyes enlightened. Christians do. You can be born again, speak in tongues, and swing from the chandeliers, but be just as blind as somebody else <laughs> if your eyes are not enlightened. We need that. We need to pray for that. So what happened is Jesus gave him the second touch. Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, verse 25. And he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored. Now watch this. And he saw everything, or literally in the Greek, it's masculine plural. You can translate it everything or every man, every person. He saw them clearly. How clear is clear. Talangos is the Greek word there for clear. And you would translate it this way, the farthest things were clearly seen. Telangos is where we even get the word telescope from. A telescope sets up your seeing with a lens that takes things that are far away. What does it do? It brings them up close so you can actually discern and see what they really are. Because from a distance, you know, it's like, I don't know what that is. I can't tell. Then we get old and start wearing glasses and we still can't tell. So, I don't know. I still can't tell. We do this. And... Well, telangos is the sight that Jesus gave him. It's the ability for God to take the things that are furthest away and bring them close. It means everything was seen in a bright and shining manner. That comes from the light of God. That's when God enlightens. That's that prayer that Paul prayed. That the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. And it doesn't come from the earth. It doesn't come from a flashlight. It comes from the Holy Spirit. God, show me. You're going to have to show me. It's how you read your Bible. God, as I read my Bible, open my eyes, the psalmist said in Psalm 119. Open my eyes that I can behold wonderful things out of your word. Because if you don't open my eyes, it's a book. Just another book. God, you have to open my eyes. We've got to cry out for that. We've got to keep asking. Open my eyes. Touch my sight. Give me sight. Let me see. Let me see the things that are far away. That's how every church has to move in vision. That's how every church has to proceed in advancing the kingdom. What? 
keep looking on the horizon for the things that are far away and say, God, bring the next thing into focus. Bring the next family into focus. Make it real. Not, not just big grand events, but God, when the next family you want to join Cornerstone Church comes through those doors, let me focus on them. Give me sight. Let us see them clearly. When I'm walking around the streets of Lynchburg and I'm in Walmart, wherever I am, and there's somebody you want me to touch and see, God, give me sight. Let me see everybody clearly. Otherwise, you might as well go to Walmart and go into the nursery department and walk around with the trees. It wouldn't make any difference, right? It wouldn't make any difference. You're going to get your shopping done, and you're going to get home, and it doesn't matter that there's, you know, a thousand other people walking around Walmart that you're, you're in close proximity to, but you know what? If, you're, if you just go in, in your village, you'll never see people. Not saying all the time, but there could be times you just got to be aware. That's a really good word, being aware. I think this guy became very aware after this miracle. It's a miracle. You start seeing people differently and go, wow, I'm, I'm so much more aware. That's what Talangos does. That kind of sight makes you more aware of people. And then Jesus does the most bizarre thing. It's so bizarre. This is a great story when it comes to he saw everything clearly. It's verse 26 that messes the whole story up for me. You kind of go, what, what was he, how do you interpret that? Because it says in verse 26, he sent the man home, right? And so the guy's going, he says, I want you to go home now. He goes, thanks, Lord, I'm going home now. And as he's going home, he says, and don't go back to your village. Right. You see him freeze for a minute and go, what did you just say? I thought you said I'm to go home. I did. But don't go back to my village? Right. How do I do that? How do I do that? Because, again, his thinking is, but my home is in my village. Uh-oh. <laughs> and suddenly he realizes he's been relocated. See, God has messed everything up. Jesus messed up his true home. Because, see, once his eyes were open, as we know what Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, except the man be born again, he can't see the kingdom. But once you see, once your eyes pop open and you get spiritual sight and you realize, hey, you know what? This isn't, it. This isn't my home. Everything starts shifting on you. Everything shifts. And so here we have this amazing... <laughs> contrast between home and village. Jesus set up purposefully a contrast in the inside of this guy to deal with what his home is, first of all, where's your true home, and secondly, the dangers of village mentalities, how it will keep you blind. And so you can see how he set up a contrast, and now the guy had to deal with it. And now you do too. <laughs> Sorry. Now we have to deal with it. So the best way to deal with it is to look at one more example in Luke chapter 9. Look at three quick, quick examples, three guys who had an encounter with Jesus. Very simple words spoken from the men, very complex answers from Christ in typical style. You get some very complex, challenging statements about the kingdom of God and the issues of home and village. It hits every one of us because God's whole program, his whole purpose is bringing you and I out of our village and moving us firmly and squarely into the kingdom of God. We become kingdom dwellers on planet Earth. So watch this. Luke chapter 9 starts in verse 56. Actually, notice the setup. They went on to another village. That's one of Jesus' ministries. He and the disciples, they go from village to village, releasing people. That's the apostolic. See, they're moving. They're moving apostolically. The word apostle simply means to be sent. 
and the, the mission of Christ was to be sent into the earth by the Father, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Our mission is to be sent. And we go from where? Village to village. You don't even have to leave your neighborhood. You can go to your neighbor and go to another village, right? Your next door neighbor, knock on the door, say, hi, I'm from that village next door. It's called my house. <laughs> but inside, our culture is not even close to your culture. So you can be that, we can be that contrasting in proximity. So here <laughs> we have these two primary sources of cultural intrusion, home and village. Watch this. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, verse 57, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, you'd think he'd go, that's what I'm looking for. You can be my disciple. Good answer. That's textbook, Sunday school, 301 answer. I'll follow you, Lord, wherever you go. He turns and says the most bizarre thing. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What kind of an answer is that? You ever look at some of these and go, what? where was he coming from? I, you, <laughs> I can tell you he's coming from another frequency. Jesus is talking kingdom. He's, he's, he is just modulating on a whole other frequency than this guy thinking in a village earthly mentality. I'll follow you, Lord. He says, okay, you're going to follow me? Let, me? let me explain something to you, what it means to follow me. And he uses an illustration from the animal kingdom to help him understand his father's kingdom. And he says, foxes have holes, birds have nests. What's a hole for a fox? It's his home, right? What's a nest for a bird? It's where they live. It's their home, right? He shows two contrasting homes because the birds rarely go over and spend the night with the foxes. Foxes would love to have them over for dinner regularly, but they don't go. They don't accept the invitation. <laughs> and the foxes don't curl up in the nest every night with the sparrows. They don't do that. They're, they're totally in contrast, two contrasting homes that don't fit. They don't fit. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. They don't fit. And he says, here's another thing that doesn't fit. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What's he mean? This ain't my home. This planet is not my home. My home's in heaven. The Son of Man has nowhere. Laying your head would be symbolic of where you go to sleep at night. Although we know in the natural, he slept at Mary and Martha's. He hung out. He slept at night. But see, he's talking kingdom. He says, you want to follow me? First thing that's got to change, your home. You want to follow me? The kingdom of God becomes your home. Deuteronomy 33 actually says God is our home. It means God is our dwelling place. Our home is him, actually him. Isn't that amazing? Still trapped in an earth suit called a body, but spiritually, spiritually, when Jesus said the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, what does that mean? I'm looking. I'm looking for where I can lay my head. And if you want to follow me, I've got to be able to lay my head into your life. What's that mean? He's the head of the church, right? See, he's prophesying about the church because Colossians says that Christ is the head of the church. That means he has all supreme government and authority over our lives when we come into the church. And you know what? We can come into the church, but if we don't come out of our village, and if we're stuck and in, in, in confused about what our true home is, then he doesn't have governing authority in your life. And we can attend church and go to church and, and act church, but the question is, has Christ laid his head down in your life? And are you really following him? So that's the first shocking challenge I'll follow you, or you will. I got to be the head of this thing. Oh, okay. That's the only way it works. You want to follow me? I'm the head. Any questions? Uh, no. I guess that's about sums it up, doesn't it? And then he just turns to the other guy, next guy. He says to another, you follow me. Like, based on what I just said, you follow me. And then the guy made the big mistake. He said, I will, but. <laughs> don't, don't, I got recommendation. Don't use that phrase. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. If he's Lord, you don't say, I will, but. You say, I will, period. You're the boss. 
follow me. Lord, I will. Let me first go and bury my father. Go, okay. Why didn't you say so? This is a little sensitive issue here. Come on, Clem, lighten up. Let him go bury his father. You think, yeah, that's, that was a little insensitive of me to assume that he had an invalid excuse come out of his mouth. And so I'm sure Jesus felt the same thing, felt compassion rise up, shepherd of our hearts. And uh, Jesus said something very pastoral to him. Oh, let the dead bury their dead. As for you, go proclaim the kingdom. We have outreach on Tuesday night. You better be here. That's kind of what you think, right? When you first read, they go, how insensitive. This is a pastor talk. This is Jesus, our shepherd. How insensitive. What kind of response is that? Well, Jesus sees through everything, doesn't he? And when he said, I'll follow you, but first let me go bury my father. See, we assume when we read that, that his father died. Didn't say his father died, did it? He just said, let me go bury my father. Actually, you could say it. When my father dies... Let me go bury him, and then I'll follow you. In other words, I've got a priority already set up here. See, Jesus, in my village, where I come from, in my Jewish tradition probably, see, when, when Jewish father dies, he leaves a double portion to Jewish firstborn son, of which I'm firstborn son. So I got a double portion, see, and I got this juicy inheritance coming my way. So, Lord, yeah, I'll follow you, but not until I get my inheritance. In other words, not until I can afford it. Not until it meets my financial need. When it's financially convenient, then I'll follow you. That hurts, doesn't it? Because we've all been there. When my father dies, and that's why Jesus turned and said, that is village thinking. That is going to kill you. That does not bring life. That's why he said, let the dead bury their dead. What is he saying? Let people that think that way, who are dead, go and keep burying all others that think that way. That is a dead issue when it comes to advancing the kingdom. Because the, the, the rest of it was like, as for you, what? Go bring life. Go proclaim the kingdom. Why? That brings life to people. Your proposition, your methods, your village only brings death. Doesn't bring life. Doesn't advance the kingdom. So that's challenging, wasn't it? <laughs> and there's one more guy. If I'd been him, I'd been gone. I'm like, I got to go. I am not. I'm not sticking around. But he boldly tried. God bless him. He said, well, Lord, um, I'll follow you. But and then he did the butt again. But again, we think, well, this is innocent. But first, let me say farewell to those at home. Uh-oh, brought the home up. <laughs> let me say farewell to those at home. First, let me go back and say, say goodbye to those at home. Hmm. Something, we call it an unrighteous homing device, was still operating in him. <laughs> A carnal homing device. Something that every time he wanted to move forward in the kingdom, something drew him back in his carnality, in his memories, in his emotions. There was this emotional pull that kept pulling him back home. And Jesus addressed it. He went right for the root. He didn't say, oh, yeah, and say hi to, to, to Brother Isaiah for you. And, and how's your dad doing? Tell your dad I said hello. J Jesus didn't go there. He wouldn't go there with him because that was not what Jesus was trying to get him to do. If he's going to follow him, he said... No one puts his hand to the plow and what? Looks back. Is fit for the kingdom. You can't advance the kingdom and have your vision behind you. You can't advance the kingdom and see the farthest things clearly with Tongalos vision and see what's coming and advance the kingdom and inside your homing device is beeping loud. I want to go back. I want it to be the way it was. I'm uncomfortable. This is not the way we used to do it. Right? All those little voices. Can't we just go back to the way it used to be? Remember when Cornerstone was just this little smaller group and we didn't have all this stuff? 
You can't go back. It doesn't fit. See, those things don't fit kingdom advance. No one putting their hand upon the plow, prophetic of, you know, advancing the kingdom, plowing new fields, planting, harvesting, that whole agricultural idea that he's putting here. No one putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. It doesn't fit. So this challenges all of us, doesn't it? I'm challenged. You're challenged. We're looking at this thing going, wow. You can't go back to where you came from. Doesn't fit the way the kingdom operates. Doesn't fit following Christ. Christ will never take you back to where you came from. He's always going to move you forward in advancing the kingdom. And once you come into the kingdom, you'll never have a homeland that you're comfortable in again. It just doesn't work. Ever gone back to a high school reunion? The weirdest thing on the planet. I never have because I heard all the horror stories, so I don't go. I I just try to play it out in my mind thinking, oh, that's going to be freaky. How uncomfortable will that be? Because the the funny thing is, yeah, we want to see everybody, but you know, you go back and go, nothing is the same. You think you are. (laughs) You think you're the only thing that hasn't changed, so you can't go back. Everything shifts. Here's the deal. What you have to learn to leave, this is this apostolic shift inside. This is your mentalities are being challenged. You have to forsake, hear me carefully, family patterns of thought and dysfunction. Family patterns of thought and dysfunction so that you can embrace the kingdom. Every one of us have family patterns of thought that were ingrained into us since we were two years old. And not all bad. I'm not saying they're... But if they collide with the kingdom, if there's, if there's a, a, some kind of a cultural intrusion from the way my family patterns of thought and they intrude on advancing the kingdom and following him, just like all three of those guys that once said, I'll follow you, Lord, he nailed them on the things that were going to culturally intrude on their ability to follow him as Lord and advance the kingdom. He put his finger on issues. Just like the young boy that says, you know, when our family, you know, the, the firstborn son doesn't do anything until he gets his inheritance. So when I can bury my father, then I'll follow you. That was, a, that was a family pattern of thought, a cultural pattern that was ingrained into him since he was a child. And that's the thing Jesus put his finger on. He says, that's an intrusion on your ability to embrace the kingdom then. That's got to go. And so every intrusion, keyword is intrusion, every intrusion of natural family somewhere has to bow to the kingdom of God. And we all have this stuff. Somewhere in our, in our pursuit of the kingdom, God will show us the things in our natural family that intrude upon our ability to advance the kingdom. Little issues. You have, sometimes you have no idea what they are. And then Jesus puts his finger and goes, that's, uh, that's a cultural stronghold in your life that's going to hinder you from advancing the kingdom. You go, oh, you're right, Lord, that is. What's really actually kind of humorous about a message like this See, now you can use this against each other at church. It gets fun, I'm telling you. It, it'll, it'll happen, I guarantee it'll happen before cars roll out of the parking lot. You'll be out there someday, and somebody's going to make a statement, indicate their level of sight, and a good-meaning, well-deserving comment will come back from your brother or sister and say, hey, brother, that, that's your village. Say, <laughs> that's your village talking. Get ready for it. You have permission, right? They have permission. We have permission to point out <laughs> our own blindness, okay? Point out the villages that we all come from. So my recommendation, don't talk to anybody. Just, mm, mm, talk to you later. Because what language indicates our level of sight? When you start saying, they'll go, and see, you're going to be more aware. That's the key word, awareness. It's just that let's all have a greater awareness of our levels of sight, how we see people. And say, God, you know what? (laughs) Ask God 
as we close, ask of God, what is the particular nature of my blindness? Go for yourself first. It's a lot less painful. Ask God yourself. Say, okay, God, you got me. What's the nature of my own blindness? And then, you know, then ask him, what are the things that are intruding right now? What are the things that are intruding on me? What are the cultural norms that I've been stuck in and now it becomes no longer tolerable? It becomes an intrusion on my advance of the kingdom. Ask God. He will show you. He'll show you. He showed those three guys with one quick, sharp statement to each guy. He showed them where the intrusion was. And, you know, just determine today to break out of your village. Just make a decision. Say, I'm coming out of my village. What you simply have to do is just uh, kind of see yourself as that blind person, but see Jesus. Interesting, he didn't get to see Jesus, but he touched him. He was blind. Jesus took him by the hand. That touch started the whole thing. And just believe that today God will touch you, not physically. God will touch you apostolically. The apostolic dimension will touch your heart and start the movement. There'll be a movement in you that says, I must come out of my village. Would you pray that with me as we close? Father, we come to you and say, first of all, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means, Lord, everywhere there's an intrusion on your kingdom coming. We ask that, Lord, you point it out and help us, Lord, come out of our village. Help us move into a new place with you. Help us to shift our mentalities. Help us to view things differently. Give us the heart of Christ in all these matters. We ask for your kingdom to come. We ask that you give us apostolic grace to step out of our village and advance your kingdom right here in this city and other places you call us. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's a, that's a prayer you can pray a lot. You don't get it all at once. Like we said, that is a progressive process we're all in. So just a reminder, I'm going to just pray for a couple of people, and then we're going to dismiss around on time. But um, as a reminder, today, when you go home, don't go back to your village, all right? <laughs> See, I'm messing you up too. Okay, you can go home today, but don't go back to your village. Hallelujah. What we do, if you're not familiar with prophetic ministry, uh, it takes on many dimensions. I believe that was prophetic ministry just now. We had a prophetic you know, sermon that touched us all. God brought life out of it. There's different ways we distribute the prophetic. When you get up in the morning, have your devotions, and God's talking to you, you're being prophetic. But there are sometimes a special delivery of prophetic revelation that comes one-on-one, uh, -on -one, where someone with the gift of prophecy or um, operates in prophetic ministry would just pray for some people. And that brings a word of encouragement, edification, sometimes even direction from a governmental office. It's just one of the many ways that God likes to build the church. So it's, uh, it's one of the ways, one of the many ways God speaks to us. And so we always like to reserve a little time to do that. So this morning, I'm just going to pray for a few people as the Lord shows me. There's no way, first of all, there's no way you can pray for everybody. So that's, that's a given, <laughs> all right? So don't pout <laughs> and, and don't, don't taint the atmosphere with selfish demand right now. Just say, okay, Lord, that could be a village you've got to get out of right now. It's like it's all about me, okay? It's not about you. It's about God building his church, speaking who he wants to speak to, and then we're all edified. Are you with me? Good? All right. Um, I'm going to pray for this couple right here. I met you before the service. I can't remember your first name. That terrible? Lloyd. Why don't you just stand up? And we're recording these. Sam? Yeah. Lloyd and? Laura. And Laura? Join me. Church, let's get off from under the speaker so we don't get in trouble. Just face me. Father, thank you for Lloyd. Lloyd. Sarah, is it? 
Laura, sorry. Lloyd and Laura. La, 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 la. <laughs> Get my house here. Father, thank you for this couple. Lord, we just thank you for assignment after assignment that has been put out their way, and you have successfully carried out the assignments of God, and you've come to the end of one season and thought you failed. And God says, no, end of assignment. That's a big difference. The end of an assignment is not a failure. It means you're done with that project. You're done. And, and to push on, you lose grace, you lose heart, and it becomes kind of a drudgery. And you've been kind of up and down and not sure about that. And God says, I want you to kind of tear off all the old pieces of paper and start with a fresh page. God's got some new assignments he's assigning to you now. These are days to hear the Lord clearly. Hear him carefully. Hear him consciously. And he's going to begin to put things in your heart as assignments because it's really going to continue to revolve around people. God's assigning you some new people. God's going to assign some people for you to shepherd, to care for, to, to help disciple, to get into their lives where they won't let other people into their lives. Uh, you both have unique skill sets and uh, cultural uh, development in your own lives that allow you to speak into certain people that others don't have a chance or an opportunity. Uh, sister, you have a real tremendous way of uh, coming at different angles into people's lives, and they let you in the side door. Other people, they only allow certain people in the front door, but they let you in the side door because there's a congeniality, there's a familiarity, there's a trust factor you have just built over time, even out of your own crushing, out of some of your own disappointments, you have learned that trust is still the most valuable thing, and you've learned how to build it yourself and then how to help others build it for themselves. And you're going you're gonna to just kind of repair breaches of heart, breaches of relationships that have damaged people, even from coming back to church. I see people that are disenfranchised from church, used to go to church, used to go to this church, used to worship here, and they're just completely on the bench. And they're just basically saying, I'm just waiting until the game's over. And I just feel like God's saying, you got to call them back in. Lloyd, like a coach, you got to go back and say, you know what, you're still valuable. you still got skill. The game's not over. Let's get, let's get, back, get, those, get back in shape, get back on the field. We need you. You're, you're, you're just an ability to kind of provoke in a godly way, um, and it's kind of like there's, there's, a, there's a couple of levels of men that you're going to reach. You're going to reach some men that are your peers, but you're also going to reach down into the next generation. There's some young men. God's going to let you just really grab a hold of them, and actually, they want it badly. They want kind of a spiritual father. They want a coach in their life, but they're just insecure, and they're tied up, and they're just prideful, and they just don't know how to turn it on. They don't know how to pursue what's really in their heart to pursue, and so you're going to come to him. Brother, you're going to meet him halfway. You're going to be like, you know, just almost like the, I see the picture of the prodigal son and the father who just was, I mean, he was pacing the roof. He knew when his son was coming afar off. And you're going to see sons starting their journey towards you afar off, and you're going to run to meet him. You're going to actually run to meet him with all the, all the comforts and, all, and just kind of begin to pour out sonship. That's an important word for you, brother. You're going to help young men understand their sonship in Christ. They are a son of God without doing anything outside of performance. It's like who they were born to be. And you're going to really just hammer that message into them and change their identity and change their village and have them come into a place of sightedness and help them see. And they'll be mentoring in the word of God and they'll be hanging out times and there'll be some very forceful conversations, but you will help shape some young men for future dynamic kingdom advance, which is your heart. Both of you have a heart to see impact come to the kingdom, not just in your, in your city, but there's even, uh, you have a heart for missions. There's things you want to see happen on the foreign field. There's some dynamic doors God's going to open up for the two of you to travel and to touch foreign soil and see another 
cultural shift of village like we saw today, you're going to see, like, wow, look what God's doing here. I never thought it. I never, I never could comprehend it on American soil. But now that I'm here, wow. And you're, it's going to wow you into a whole other realm of effective uh, kind of advance. And I, I think in your heart, somehow God's going to use you as, as a, to develop some kingdom initiatives that are going to help in the planting of new churches. I don't know how that's going to look. I just get that concept that you will have your hands on the plow that helps plant new churches. It doesn't mean you're going to go out and plant a church. It means you're going to have your hand on the plow that, the plow that, that plows it up and gets it ready and all that. And there's some things God will show you. He says, this is the plow. Get your hand on that plow. It's going to help open up soil for new seed and new planting, new, new multiplication. These are good days to put, as we said, put things behind you. You can't look back. These are days the Lord's just saying, you know what, that is over. Like I just, in the picture of the, this is like this cluttered old legal pad that's, you know, but folded back so much that they don't even stay, the pages are all curled, you know. And it's like God just coming and taking and ripping all those old curled up gnarly pieces of paper on a legal pad and just and something's like a brand new pad. So it's a brand new day, write. You're a, you're a visionary writer and you have the capacity to articulate on paper words and uh, I, I just believe that uh, even, yeah, I said on paper, that's sort of, you know, not, not a screen. For you, paper's still good. Paper and pen in your hand is still a, a happy medium for you to wrap God's energy into words that help you understand him. You love to make notes. Your Bible's all mess, full of stuff. And you just love it because you're just the, the, the note lady, and God loves your notes. God just wants to tell you he loves your notes. But God says it's a new day. There's time for new notes to be written. Brother, there's one level further for you to go in your job. I don't even know what you do, but I just sense there's another level. You've been praying about it. Do I go here? Do I go there? I just feel like God says one more step up. And it's not the ladder of success as the world would say. It's a, it's a kingdom position that God wants you to step into. And it's all going to be wrapped around this ability to influence other men, influence other people in a very dynamic way. God's going to do it. It's going to be the favor of God. Uh, just keep praying about it, but be ready. Again, I'm going to bring that word back. We all heard, I think that was just the Holy Spirit, the word awareness. Be aware of what's coming so that when it, when it happens, you'll be able to step into it and just say, I just, I just shifted a platform, and I'm just doing what I do, but it's going to give me more influence, more clout in the kingdom to touch lives. Father, thank you for this couple. Lord, we just ask you to bless, Lord, uh, the, the, just the work of their hands, Lord, the, the journeys of their feet, Lord, the vision in their eyes. God, bless them, enlighten their eyes that they may know the hope of their calling. That, Lord, it is an upward call in Christ. This is a time of upwardness, says the Lord. You're moving up. And so not in the way the world moves you up, in the way God moves you up. It's an elevation of sight and perspective. And it's going to increase so that you can see him and then he can flow through you in a dynamic way. Amen? Amen. Praise God. That's good. Now, if you're listening like that, you know, it's easy to go, oh, I'd like a word like that. Well, actually, you can have a word like that because it's God speaking to his children, of which you are, his children, right? So there's concepts, principles, all the things that God was speaking. You just sit there going, that's good. I'll take that. I'll take that because that's the way God treats all his kids. God's a very excellent father. And so uh, there's a lot of things you could just sit there and go, I, I got a whole page of notes off of what God said to them because that's kingdom principles. You know, isn't that good? Yeah. Are you a couple here? You've got glasses. And... Are, you, are you married? Can I pray for the two of you real quick? Come up here real quick. Tell me your name. Chris, Chris and, and Julie. Oh, this caught my eye by the Spirit, so I'm just going to pray. I have no idea what God wants to say, but we want to bless you.
Chris and Julie, Lord, we just bring them before you. We thank you, Lord, for, uh, Lord, that they're sitting in this room. This, you came in a peculiar way, is the word I get, a peculiar way to came into this house. And you were drawn by God himself. It was not something you planned out, although you're great planners. Brother, you're a planner, a plotter, a plotter. Uh, you like to you like to just you like to shop on the on the web and check everything out. You like to check the back door, the front door. You like to rattle, kick the tires. You check everything. You do not make fast, hasty decisions. This young lady was not a hasty decision. Uh, you, you just you did a lot of soul searching. You did a lot of praying, and God says He likes that about you. But God says I'm going to ratchet up the pace just a little bit. Sister, you're a little more spontaneous. You kind of like spontaneity. You like to say, let's just impulsively, let's go to the store right now. <laughs> Let's just go shopping. I, let's go. Let's go get ice cream. Let's go. This, and sometimes the impulsiveness, brother, it just, it's not, well, it's not your village. You, you didn't come from the impulse village. You came from the methodical village. And so you've had a little clash, not in a real bad way, not, not maybe a little smoke, no big flames of destruction, but you're beginning to understand each other and beginning to acquiesce to one another's moment where you, you say, I got to give her, I just got to give her that ability to go. And then you, sister, are going, well, I just got to let him think it over. Um, but you know what, brother? She's a good prod because if you, if you had all the time you wanted to think it over, you'd still be thinking about marrying her. So thankfully, God put a little prod next to you, and that's good. You are a great combination. You're a good couple that God has joined together for kingdom purposes. And there's a, there's a good track of academia in both of your lives. There's a good track of education and planning and want to make yourselves a, a, a marketable commodity to the world and their system. But God says, don't forget, I called you. You're mine and you serve me and my system first, and out of that, I'm going to cause you to use your skills and to use the things that you've trained yourselves in to reach people. I see you gathering people at times informally in your home, uh, and it's, it's, it's going to become a doorway to the kingdom for, for some of them. Some of them will never come right to the front door of the church and join. They're going to come through your home. And so I, I want to challenge the two of you in, in a project that comes from the, the Lord. I really, sense, I really sense your home is going to become a ministry center you're, in fact, the home you're in right now is not the home you're going to be in. There's another home God is preparing for you. Even in this crazy economy, God is the master realtor. And he is going to open up a dynamic, almost a miracle home for you that's got lots of space so you can entertain, have people over, have fun, and out of that, you're going to catch fish. It, you're going to just catch fish. They're going to get in your net, and they won't be able to get out. <laughs> and they're going to say, every time we go over there, I just feel I, something happens. And uh, you're not going to be preachy-teachy, but you're going to be real. You're going to be transparent. And you're going to be Christ-like. And the light in you is going to draw and push back the darkness in them. I love the scripture where it says, you know, Jesus was the light. And it says the darkness couldn't comprehend him. And you guys are both intelligent and, and have a certain level that you operate on. But you know what? When it, when it comes to spiritual things, friends that are living darkness will not be able to comprehend you. But they'll be drawn. They'll be drawn to you. So these are great days of, of being drawn to certain people. And finding, you know, that you have a, you're going to have very successful ways of discipling people and bringing them out of their bondage and into truth and redemption and bring them to a place of functionality in the kingdom of God. They're going to be thanking you. You'll have, you'll have lots of thank yous coming your way over the next five years or so. And th- these are new days to just kind of just press into all the principles of God yourself. Do you have children yet? Yeah. Well, that'll be coming in the package. That's why you need a bigger house too. You need some bedrooms. You need places for all the other kids to hang out. Because in the next five years, you're going to have some dynamic gatherings. You're going to hook up with some couples. Sister, you're going to have some dear friends that you can be pregnant with, and they'll be the only ones on the planet that understand you at that time. And that's good. You've got to have them. And you're going to have some amazing connections around natural life that's going to 
burst into a place of spiritual family and a dynamic of culture that's going to be kingdom, and it's going to be explosive. So enjoy the current season, but God says, get ready. I'm about to accelerate the plan that I have for you and push you into a place of great productivity for the kingdom of God. Amen? That's a good couple. Willie, how'd you get them? That's great. I don't, the, the pastor doesn't even know you. That's great. That's a, nobody knows them. You're not, from your, you're not from around here, are you? No, it's a, that's great. Isn't it great to hear God just pour out great things over his kids? Amen. Praise God. Well, we could go on and on, but I'm going to just pray for this couple real, real quick because I met you last night. I never met you before. This is your husband, obviously. The camper. You went camping. Are you, have you thought out yet? We were thinking, like, you're going to freeze. Why don't you come on up? Tell me your name. Virgil and Dietrich, come on up here. This will be the last one, okay, so, but hang in there. Don't check out and go, oh, don't get an attitude, please. Father, thank you for this couple. Lord, we just, uh, we are grateful you've sent them here. Lord, we're just asking for um, uh, a settling. It's, you've been sent here, you've come in, you're, you're, you're in the flow, but there's yet a final settling. And I feel like God says, almost like, Unpack all your bags, not, not, don't, nothing in reserve. Uh, you shouldn't have any, any partially packed bags or one say, oh, I'm not sure yet if we can go all the way. I feel like God's saying, drop anchor all the way to the bottom. Unpack all your bags, settle in. This is a time of settling in because in your settling is going to come a peace and there's going to come productivity and there's going to come, I'm using a funny word, colonization. What, what that means, I see you settling like a, like, almost like the, the founding fathers came and settled into a place of, of establishment. And out of that came colonization, whereas others were drawn. It's, again, it's amazing how God gets a theme going sometimes. So we've got three couples now, and God's kind of saying the same things. Lots of dynamic ability to draw people to yourselves for the, for the purpose of developing relationship, making disciples, and doing life together. And this is what the kingdom's all about. And God says he's called you to here to begin to make an impact and draw some people together. So settle it in your hearts. This is where we're going to be and uh, not worry about, you know, could be any time now. We could get another, get marching orders, you know. And God says, I want you to settle here. Your children are going to settle here. They're going to do well. They're going to grow uh, academically, but they're going to grow spiritually. Your children are going to just, just bloom spiritually. They're going to have a dynamic ability to even share on their level their perceptions of God, how prayer gets answered, how to pray. Kids are loaded. I mean, you're just loading them up in a good way. You're training up your children in the way they should go. And they're going to be prayer warriors in their own rights. And you're going to see prayer be a powerful engine in your own home. In fact, your home is going to be known as a house of prayer. It's going to be a house of prayer because you're going to pray about everything. Because you've had to pray about some things. You've had some things. Come, you've come up against some opposition that was, there was no natural answer. There's no way to answer it in the natural impasse. And then God said, you've got to pray. And you're like, yeah, you're right. We, we don't have a choice. That's all we can do. And God is moving. God is moving, as we say, heaven and earth, to answer prayer for you. Herein is my Father glorified, Jesus said, that you bear much fruit. And he talked about answers to prayer. That would be, you're going to have a fruitful um, testimony of how God answers prayer in difficult times. And that's going to be a drawing card to others. They will come and say, teach us to pray. Just, will you teach us to pray? Will you pray with us? Will you pray for us? You're going to have people just coming and soliciting prayer because you have a testimony. Not that you've had an easy life. You've had a testimony that God does show up. God does rescue. God does sometimes, sometimes we have to look for God. Sometimes it's like heaven's silent and we thought God moved. But it's just God saying, I want you to seek me. 
I want you to search for me. Brother, search for him in Proverbs. I see you just kind of pouring back through Proverbs, a great book. I think you like the book, and I think God's drawing you back in for another layer, another layer of revelation and wisdom that flows out of the book of Proverbs because it's in that book that he says, I want you to come and dig, dig deep for the word of God. Dig for like diamonds and rubies and dig for it. And if you dig for it, that's what you're going to get, brother, diamonds to give to others. And I just see just an ability to just open up the word and share Proverbs, not long, drawn-out sermons, brother, little pithy statements that touch someone right in the heart, just like a proverb of Solomon, boom. Man, that's just what I needed. You'll be praying Proverbs and praying principles over people's lives. That's going to be part of why your prayer life is going to be dynamic. It's going to be just laced with the Word of God, and it's going to be impacting on people's lives. There'll be a prophetic side to the both of you. There's times you will prophetically be praying over someone. Just like I'm praying over you, you'll be praying and talking, and the prophetic word will come and speak into situations in people's lives. It'll just dynamically affect them. And they'll know it was the Spirit of the Lord. They'll say, God is truly among you, and they'll be drawn. Um, I don't know if you both have family that's not from this area, but I sense there are family members that are far and distant, and I just, I just have a sense that there's a, a divine connection in the Spirit that has nothing to do with geography. And there's some people you're praying for, there's some people you're concerned about, but God says that's part of your prayer life. Stay connected in prayer, and God's touching family members even today. Even today, some, some of your family members will be touched because there's, there's something mobile about the Holy Spirit that, that transcends distance. It, it's, it's there. You just need to be confident that God is at work in your family, and you're feeling maybe we're a far away and we're aloof, and that's why you have been hesitant to completely unpack, but God says, no, I've got a plan that's going to even include your family, and it's all kingdom. And that's where you're going to say, it's a big kingdom, and we have a big God. Amen? Amen? Amen. Good couple. God bless you and your family. Let's stand, please. I want to thank God for bringing uh, Clem to us. Uh, he comes usually once a year. Uh, he's the uh, prophet that's over uh, Cornerstone Community Church. We have an apostolic uh, overseer also. Um, I'm to Jared Daly. He'll be here at some point in time. Uh, but um, he's off sabbatical now, so he's doing well now. So he's been asking uh, when can he come. So we're just trying to pick the right time for him to be here. But what I want you to do is to take the message home, pray over it, because we all want to be more aware of our spiritual sight. That's what we want to be more aware of. We also want to uh, bless our guest also. And really he's, uh, I don't look at him as a guest. I, I look at him as a part of, cornerstone like you said when he goes uh, we go and we do support him on a, a monthly basis uh, but he does not he's not supported by our church and uh, when you're traveling almost every weekend out of the state out of the area um, out of the country he still has the same needs that you have of paying his utility bills uh, house payments and all those type of things. So we want you to give uh, appropriate honorarium to God because when the people gave to Paul, they gave out of their need. And he said, may my God supply your need according to his riches and glory. And that's what 
you want to do. You want to assist in where he's going, what he's doing, and be a blessing to him. And God will bless you because that's where God is. He's a blessing.